series, uh, four weeks on, on Advent, where we've looked at some of the deeper longings in the human soul. And uh, because Christmas really doesn't kind of, it's not about scratching the surface, right? That God in coming at Christmas time through Jesus Christ actually wants to go to a deeper place with us. And, and we've been taking a look at hope and peace and love. And today, I want to talk about happiness, if you're happy, no, I won't go there. <laughs> I might, though. You just never know what I'll do. But isn't this time of the year, it's kind of the time of the year when we think a lot about happiness, or at least we think a lot about the things that make us happy. I mean, I know that Oprah does. Anybody wish that you were on her favorite list, right? Like, you know, and you get a car, and you get a car, right? But, but, but it's the time of the year when we think a lot about hoping, or happiness, or hopiness, um, whatever, you know, hope and happiness is hopiness, right? But, but we think a lot about happiness. We think a lot about the things that make us happy. And, and really, it's a natural born trait of human beings to desire to want to be happiness. In fact, happiness drives many of the decisions that you and I make. As a nation, we've actually codified the pursuit of happiness into our Declaration of Independence. And so we kind of see it as this right that, man, I have a right to be happy. And, and, and I want to, as we think about these things today, ask and answer the question, what does God think about all of that? Does God want us happy? Does God not want us happy? Is God, like, angry? Is God, like, where does all that stuff land? Because happiness drives so much of what we do. In fact, happiness is the ultimate thing that many of us are looking for. It drives the decisions that we make. It oftentimes drives the places that we live, the things that we buy, the things that we eat. Happiness drives much of what we do. But we live in a nation that, man, deals with almost epidemic proportions of anxiety and stress and depression, and it makes me wonder if we've really done a good job in the pursuit of happiness. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hand. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hand. Uh, some of you are not so happy. <laughs> Just saying. And so my job today is I want to tell you what's going to make you happy. Now some of you are sitting there, probably the same people that are not clapping and happy, going, you don't know me. How are you going to tell me how to be happy? Well, I want to remind you that every time you swipe on your phone, you flick through a web page, right, you flip through a magazine, you shop or buy something off of QVC, do people actually do that anymore? Um, but every time you do that, there's a group of people behind all of that trying to tell you what's going to make you happy. And maybe, just maybe, what they're suggesting hasn't worked out too well. Because there's a lot of unhappiness in the world in which we live. 
And so I want to start today by kind of this simple thought that happiness is more about who than it is what. Your happiness is more about who than it is what. And, and to be honest with you, you already know that. Because if you think back to when you were a kid in school or playing in the neighborhood, it wasn't necessarily about the stuff that people had. It was about who you were with. Are you included in the in-group? Are you included? Am I, do I have friends? And it's all about who you got to hang out with. And, and so we recognize that, that happiness has much more to do with who than it does what. Now, think about this for a minute. Think about the what's that you have purchased to try to make yourself happy. Now, for me, it's an iPhone. You know, the latest iPhone comes out, the iPhone 13. And all of a sudden, I'm unhappy. But I know that if I can get the iPhone 13, I'm going to be happy. Now, have you noticed that you, when you buy then the iPhone 13, and the first like week or month, it's like it's just awesome. You know, you're like the camera's just better and the features, not really anymore. It's like, you know, it's a little bit faster, really. But anyway, it's making me happy. But have you ever noticed that that purchase, that what that you purchased to try to make yourself happy, after a month or two tends to make you, it's just not quite the same, isn't it? It kind of loses its power to make you happy. And so the question that I might propose to you is, if, if the what that you purchased isn't make you happy anymore, did it make you happy in the first place? Was it really the source of happiness? Now the problem with finding happiness in what's is that the what tends to wear off and it tends to lead to the what's next. And so what happens for me is I get the iPhone 13, but now I really want the iPhone, the iPhone 14, which hasn't even come out yet. And the reality is that every one of us probably in this room does the same thing. It might not be a phone. It might be a car. It might be a house. It might be a job. It might be relationships. But we oftentimes seek happiness in what's versus whose. And the, the, the point that I'm simply trying to make this morning is that your and my happiness has way more to do with who than what. Think about the end of your life. I mean, it's kind of a morbid thought, maybe, I don't know, but, you know, it's Christmas time. Aren't we supposed to be happy? Why are you talking to me about my deathbed right now, you know? But if you ever met a person who, at the end of their life, they're in hospital, perhaps, and they're on, you know, kind of in a bed, an end-of-life care, and, you know, you're there, and, and it's not, you've never seen a scenario where, you know, kind of um, go, hey, honey, would you mind bringing me those two pairs of shoes from my closet, you know? Or maybe, you know, if you're, if you're a guy, you know, it's like, hey, honey, would you mind grabbing my gun collection, right? You know, nobody ever said, hey, nurse, would you mind putting me in a wheelchair and taking me down to the parking lot just so I could spend a, a precious few minutes with my car? No, at the end of your life, what really matters is what? Relationships. Why? You already know this. Because happiness has more to do with who than what. And, and the reality is that, that every one of us desires to be happy, but there's a kind of happiness that goes deeper than the surface. There's a happiness that's life-giving, sustaining, that keeps you for the long term in spite of circumstances, and that happiness is called joy. So when we think about joy, Christmas is really about that kind of happiness. The kind of happiness that isn't found in a circumstance, isn't found in stuff, 
but is found in a person. In fact, let's read it. It says this in John, Luke chapter 2, verses, verse 8. And we'll read a few verses. It says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, we've, we've read the Christmas story. Of course, you read it every year, and we tend to read this kind of out of this verse. Um, you know, so we get it. There were shepherds. They're in this hillside overlooking Bethlehem, and they're tending to the sheep. It's nighttime. And the point that I simply want us to see is there's nothing special or unique going on. This is a regular group of roughneck guys. If you understand who the shepherds were, the shepherds weren't kind of the elite in society. They were the people to be avoided. In fact, uh, sacred, right, or sacred literature actually describes them as incompetent thieves. These are not the people that you tend to hang out with, but here they are just at work on the night shift. And it says this, suddenly an angel, a messenger from God appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. The angel says this, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And I, I want us to stop for a minute because sometimes we read these passages of Scripture and they kind of become familiar to us and we can lose some of the richness, some of the meaning that's taking place in these passages. But I want you to stop for a minute just to consider this thought, that, that here is God, perfectly holy, he knows our secrets, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our frailties, he knows where we fail and fall short, God shows up, and what God says is, do not be afraid. And I love this because what's happening in this story is you have a, a group of regular guys just going about their regular business, nothing special going on. They're not the kind of people that maybe if you were kind of morally pure or religiously perfect that you would hang out with, right? But God chooses to show up with this group of people. Even though he knows their weaknesses and their frailties and their imperfections, God shows up and he says, do not be afraid. You see, I want you to understand, it's God who sets the atmosphere in the room. It's God who shows up with an invitation. It's not God who shows up with a two by four. It's God who shows up with an invitation to say, come be with me. It's God who sets the atmosphere in the room. God is the one who initiates. And I love the fact that that this is who God is. Some of us have this perspective or perception about God that, well, God is angry or God is upset or God is this or God is that, you know? And, and the reality is that God shows up. God's the one that steps into the mundane and steps into the routine and says, do not be afraid. There's an invitation to come to him. Now, I love the next phrase that the angel communicates from God is this. He says this, I bring. Now, now stop for a minute and think about that. It's God who's bringing something. This is God who created the universe. This is God who spoke worlds into existence. This is God who created all kinds of animals and creation and, and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present. God is bringing something. God's not saying, hey, you gotta get your life cleaned up. You gotta bring yourself. You've gotta bring this or bring that or obey and do all these rules and, and try to be as good as you can. No, 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 God shows up and God's the one who brings something. 
Now, what's interesting is that the, it says, I bring you. This is personal. That, that the kind of joy, the kind of good news that God's showing up with is actually for you and for me. It's God who brings you, not the religious elite, not the morally perfect, not those who have life all figured out. In this context, in this story, God's showing up to the imperfect. God's showing up to the weak and the frail, those who are considered the outcast of society. God's showing up and saying, I bring you. What is it he brings? He brings good news of great joy for all people. I don't know if you, I, I, I like local news. I don't know why. It's just a thing. When I travel, I always like look up local news. I don't know why. And I don't actually know why I do it because I turn on the news channel and I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of good news out there. You know that old phrase, no news is good news? Right? But here's God showing up with good news of great joy, not for a select few, for everyone. God showing up, bringing you and I good news. And I don't know about you, but I could use some good news. I think our world could use some good news. I think our culture could use some good news. I think Happy Valley could use some good news. God showing up, bringing good news of great joy for all people. So what is this good news? What's the kind of news that could bring that kind of life-giving, long-lasting, sustaining joy? Let's look at what it says. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. So I want you to see something. The good news of great joy wasn't a what, it was a who. Now, here's what's really interesting. The shepherds, now oftentimes, you know, once again, um, I don't know if you were here for a Christmas tree lighting last week. It was absolutely phenomenal. And we had a live nativity with kids acting out the nativity. And it was absolutely fantastic um, because the children's ministry had scattered shepherds throughout the, the parking lot. And I didn't know this was happening, so it kind of caught me off guard. It was awesome. We had these like little miniature shepherds all dressed like biblical times, and they were going, have you seen the Son of God? <laughs> One of them went, have you seen the Son of Jesus? <laughs> Susan, what are you teaching over there? <laughs> but, but it's interesting because it says, this will be a sign. Really, a baby? That's what, like, like, that's that big of a deal? Why was this such a big deal to these shepherds? Well, one of the things that you have to understand about these shepherds, these were not just, you know, regular shepherds just kind of raising sheep for their wool and mutton and I love lamb, lamb, all that good stuff, right? These were shepherds that had a specific task, so Bethlehem is kind of on the way to Jerusalem and there's a, a, a feast called Passover that was to celebrate something that had happened in the Old Testament where the Israelites had been rescued and saved. And so once a year, um, Jews from all over the then known world would gather in Jerusalem and they were supposed to bring a young male, unspotted male lamb to be sacrificed in the temple uh, for their sins. 
And so if you were coming from Greece or you were coming from a long ways away, there was just no way that you were going to be able to bring a, she a sheep or a, a, a lamb, a male lamb, that whole distance, dragging this lamb behind you and the lamb's getting dirty and spotted and maybe it stumbles and kind of breaks a leg. Or these kinds of things happen. And so what would happen is that if you were coming from a long distance, you would stop at this place called the Migdaladar. It was this uh, tower of the flock and it was this tower on a hillside where you would stop and you would buy a lamb that had been raised so that you could then carry that lamb into Jerusalem with you and then sacrifice on behalf of your sin. Well, these were the shepherds that raised the lambs that were born in the Migdaladar. And what would happen was that these shepherds would be trained in rabbinical law. They would understand what an unspotted lamb was supposed to look like. They would raise, they would look, raise sheep who would give birth to lambs. They would inspect the lambs, make sure it's a, a male lamb. They would make sure that it's unblemished, unspotted, that there was no imperfections. And then what they would do is they would carefully wrap that lamb in cloth. And then they would take it into the Migdaladar and they would place this lamb in a cove of limestone that was called a manger. And so when the angel announces to the disciples, this will be a sign. There's a baby who's going to be wrapped in cloth, who's going to be laid in a manger. These shepherds clearly understood what was happening, that there was finally a Messiah, a rescuer, a savior who was coming to rescue his people, who would who would eventually go to the cross and would step into their place and take the payment and penalty for their sin so that they could be free and have life and love and kindness and joy from God. And so this is not some small thing that is taking place. And the, the thing that they recognized was that the good news of great joy was, wasn't a what, but was a who. And so the question that I want to help us understand this morning is that Jesus who is the fulfillment of this good news of great joy for all people, wasn't sent just to forgive us for our sin. Jesus was actually sent for our joy and delight. Jesus has come for your joy, even when life doesn't make sense. You know, it's interesting, this little Christmas story that we read every year. It says that it's good news of great joy. What? Joy for all people. Isn't it interesting that God didn't send his angel to say this is good news of great truth. This is good news of how you can obey me. This is good news of great love or power. Isn't it interesting that, G that the angel that God sends to communicate a message to humanity is sent to communicate a message of what? Great joy. You see, Jesus is really interested in your joy. Now, for some of us in the room, that might strip gears because you might be going, wait, isn't God like, you know, got a, like he's really old and has like a big white beard and sits on a throne, taps his foot and has a big two by four that he's ready to whack me upside the head with when I step out of line, when I sin or I fall short or I disobey? Isn't that who God is? Isn't God kind of angry? Isn't God kind of, isn't God kind of that kind of a person? And yet, the Christmas story is not one of obedience and power and truth, and yet it is. There's many of those things that are in there. But the announcement that is made is that God has come for your joy and for your delight. God is interested in your joy. 
And so often we miss it. But look, look what the Bible actually says. And, and I'm just picking three verses. There are so many verses that we could reference about joy and God being interested in your joy. Look what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this planet Earth, the life that God designed us for, is actually designed to be a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of right standing, right relationship with God. Look what it says in John chapter 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive what? That your joy may be full. This is Jesus. Jesus is wanting you to ask of him. Now, it doesn't mean that everything we ask, we ever get and receive. Because like, he's a good heavenly father. And if you're a dad, you know that everything your kids ask for, you don't give it to them. Because they're probably going to end up hurting themselves, right? You know, no, you can't have that large bag of candy, right? But the point is simply this. Why does Jesus say this? He says, I want you to ask of me. Why? So that your joy might be full. Because as you ask, you're in relationship with, and as you're in relationship with, you find the kind of joy and delight that God has actually designed you for. Look what it says in Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. And the picture that's being painted here is that uh, in, in the Israelite culture, there's harvest time, and so many of them were obviously were farmers, and, and, and it was an agrarian culture. And so at the end of harvest time, there was all of this bounty, all of this grain, all of this wine that was brought in. They would throw a big, massive feast, and you can only imagine the joy and the delight. They'd worked hard. The harvest had produced a lot, and they were delighting and enjoying. And what the psalmist is saying here is that, Jesus, you fill my heart with even greater joy than all of that. Why? Because your joy is a who, not a what. And joy is literally found in delighting in Jesus. It, it sounds like a weird thought, doesn't it? That God actually wants you to delight in him. Like, like once again, some of us maybe have had this kind of view of God that he is distant and he demands obedience and I've got to get everything perfect. And God's saying through the Christmas story, no, 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 the invitation is not to be afraid. I want you to come into my presence. I want you to delight in my presence. Now, the, the challenge with that is that so often, because we think, well, Christianity is all about rules, isn't it? Christianity is about me obeying God and getting it all kind of right. And if I get it all right, then God will love me. And then what we do is we go over to this verse in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you see, if you keep God's commandments, then he'll love you, right? That's what that verse means. Except that's not what that verse means. Because we misread it. We've got this perspective of God where God's inviting us. In fact, it's so interesting because basically Jesus goes on in this passage to say, you're never going to be able to do this in your own strength. In fact, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to actually help you do these things. But it would be a little bit like me um, figuring out that, you know, the best way, uh, I have this checklist that my wife gives me every week. And it, it goes like this. Make sure to iron, do the laundry, make sure the dishes are done every day, right? Vacuum, iron some more, right? And then make sure that the grass is mowed. Now, those, that's my list I get from Jenny every single week. She gives me that list every single week without fail. And then she adds some more things. And so how I prove my love for her is I just, I just, I try my hardest to really obey her. 
wait, that's not how your marriage works? No, no, no. I do all of these things. Why? Because I love her. And Jenny does all of these things in our home and for me because why? She loves me. And this is the kind of relationship that God's inviting you and I into. It's because I love him that I joyfully obey him. And this is what God is wanting us to understand, that the truth is you and I don't have the willpower to obey God, but God's invitation through Jesus Christ is as if you love me, if you'll walk with me, if you'll delight in me, spend time with me, what happens is that your heart begins to change. Some of you gentlemen, uh, you know, maybe you're dating somebody, maybe you've been married a few years, you're doing things that you never thought you would ever in a million years do. And you know why you're doing them? Because you love her, Right? And so this is the point. This is what Jesus is trying to invite us into, a relationship of delighting in God. In fact, look what the psalmist David said, Psalm 37, verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Like like the Hebrew word there literally means to pamper, to refresh oneself, to take pleasure in. It's the highest degree of gratification. It's deep, deep delight. This is what we're invited into. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, we love the second part of that verse because if I delight myself in the Lord, then he'll give me the desires of my heart, right? So, Lord, I'm delighting myself in you. Give me the desires, I want a new car, I want a new house, right? But that's not what this verse means. Because as I delight myself in the Lord, my heart begins to change. My heart begins to desire and delight the things that God delights in. And this is the invitation. This is truly where we find happiness, not in the stuff of life, trying to feed the hungry hippo of happiness with all kinds of stuff, but the invitation is to a relationship with Jesus. Delighting in God is about getting to know him, spending time in his word, praying to him, talking to him about the things that you're concerned about, you're fearful of, the things that make you anxious, the things God's interested in your life, in your world. It's why he showed up with the shepherds saying, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you something. And it's an invitation that we need to respond to through delighting in Jesus. There's this little parable found in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 44, and he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now what's interesting about that verse is that who's the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. It's not an iPhone 13, it's not a brand new car, it's not a new house, it's not a new relationship, it's not a new job. The treasure in this life is Jesus. But I want you to see the motivation because he says, then in his joy, the motivation of this person was to sell, to chase after because there was a joy that that person was going to find in the treasure who is Jesus in delighting in him. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they, uh, what, what, that they, that they do want and, what acute, and want acutely. Something that cannot be had in this world. It's like we have a lifelong nostalgia, a longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. 
We long to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside. This is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our situation. Every single human being longs for this kind of delight, this kind of joy that's only found in Jesus. In fact, if I could say it this way, you were actually created for Jesus and to delight in Jesus. It's why Augustine says that your hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee or in God. We're designed for Jesus. We're defined, designed to find our deepest delight in him. Now, that begs the question, well, if, I, if that's true, and I find my deepest delight in him, why then am I still maybe not feeling like I'm happy in deep joy? Why is it that there are struggles? Why is it that there are difficulties? Why is it that life is so compli complicated? Well, the reality is that you and I live in a broken world. It's a world that's been broken by sin. It's a world that's been broken by all of humanity turning its back on God. And because of that sin, we encounter all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of pain, all kinds of suffering. And so in that context, if Jesus is my joy, if delighting in him is what I'm designed for, then how do I deal with all of these kinds of circumstances where things don't seem to be going my way? Things aren't working out the way I hoped or believed. Well, the second thing is simply this. We've got to recognize and understand that joy isn't circumstantial. You see, we, we oftentimes get happiness and joy, and they're cousins to each other, but happiness is, um, finds its connectivity to happenings or situations or circumstances. This week, my, my daughter came in from D.C. on Wednesday night. My parents came in from Ireland on uh, Thursday night. My son came in from New York City on Wednesday night. I'm a happy guy, right? And then I had to take my dad to the ER on, you know, on Saturday morning, you know? So it's like, okay, where's this going, you know? And happiness is, man, I get to delight. But joy isn't circumstantial. Joy is rooted in something deeper than your circumstances. In fact, the Bible addresses this so much, but, and I kind of get frustrated with the, Anyone ever get frustrated with the Bible? You ever read it and go, really, God? Did you have to put that in there? Well, there's this verse in James chapter 1, and it says this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, anybody ever been there? Can I just give you a little kind of encouragement? Some of you are in the midst of a storm, some of you are going into a storm, and some of you are coming out of the storm. Welcome to life, Right? We all face challenges and struggles, but when we face those difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Other versions say, count it all joy when you meet various trials. Another version says, pure joy. Really, God? You want me to consider this circumstance that I'm facing, this challenge, maybe it's financial, relational, whatever, you know what it is, but whatever it is, you really want me to face it with all joy? Yep. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, well, life's not fair. Well, how do I live that out? How do I do that? Well, look, this is really interesting. This is what Paul, he picks up on the same theme in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, some of you know it. Come on. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 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 And again, I say. Really, God? 
You want me to be joyful in the midst of my challenges? Absolutely. Because look what he says. He goes on and he says this. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And what Paul's actually saying there, that word reasonableness literally means to be yielded, to be surrendered. In other words, what Paul's trying to communicate in the midst of your challenge, don't live your life out going, hey, I want it my way, right? I'm not going to sing that song. I've sung too many songs already. (laughs) But we tend to do that, don't we? We go, I want it my way. It's either my way or the highway. But, But Paul is saying, no, no, no. In those circumstances, because your joy is not connected to, or your joy is not founded in your circumstance, I want you to be yielded to the one who's truly in control. In fact, the end of verse 5 says it this way, the Lord's at hand. Hey, hey, the Lord's at hand. Hey, I, I, know that, I know that circumstance is really challenging. Hey, I know, I know this situation. It's a broken relationship. And man, you're just feeling, is this ever going to turn around? I know that health circumstance is just a real challenge. You got that call from the doctor. That's not the call that you wanted to get. That's not the news that you wanted. But God shows up. And what does God say? Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Well, your joy is not rooted in your circumstance. Your joy is... Rooted in Jesus. And, and, and he's coming with good news of great joy. Not just for some. Not just for those who seem to have it all together. No, no, no. He's coming with good news of great joy for all of us. Even those of us that are going through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't need to fear any evil. Because his rod and his staff, they're with us. God's presence is at hand. This is the invitation to delight and to find your joy not in a circumstance, not in a what, not in a stuff, but in a who called Jesus. And so I want you just to just close your eyes for a minute, just to lock yourself into with Jesus. There's this verse. John, or actually Hebrews 12, 2. And it says, look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And then he says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That there are circumstances, even in the life of Jesus, that, that man, this is painful. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be death. There was a real challenge. But Jesus was willing to go there at the end of his life. There was a joy set before him. You know what the joy was? It was you. It was you accepting his invitation to be with him. To not try and figure out life in your own circumstances. Not trying to be good enough and do enough good things that maybe God would accept me. No, no, no. God has come to bring you good news of great joy. God's the one that set the atmosphere. God's the one that's inviting you into that kind of relationship. And some of you this morning in this space, in this place, it's for the very first time you're going, I need that, I need that, I need that kind of joy, I need that kind of peace, I need that kind of life-giving 
joyful satisfaction. It's only found in Jesus in a relationship with him because he's the one that forgives. He's the one that welcomes into the family. He's the one that even gives you the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome sin, any circumstance you're going through. And so this morning, if that's you, and you're simply saying, man, I, I want that relationship. I want that kind of joy. I want that joy that goes beyond my circumstance, that joy that's found in a relationship where I'm forgiven by Jesus, where I have new life in him. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you if you'd be willing to, man, just, it's a bold step. Every eye's closed and heads are bowed, but it's kind of like this, I'm willing to do this. I want to, I want to step into that relationship. And if that's you this morning, would you be willing to just slip your hand up to heaven and you're simply saying, God, I want to accept your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I want that relationship. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you, thank you. Come on, Jesus, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. Lord, for those that are just responding to you this morning, that invitation you bring good news. That, Lord, if we confess our sin, Lord, if we acknowledge you as the Son of God who came and lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserve, but rose again so that we could have life and relationship with you, Lord, in this moment, as they surrender their life to you, there is forgiveness. There is new life. There is joy. In Jesus' name. Here's what I want us to do. Could we all stand together? And we're going to sing a song in a minute. But I know that there are some people that, man, in this room, you're facing some circumstances that just are bigger than you. You're like, how am I ever going to get through this? Does God really care about me in this circumstance? And I want to tell you this morning, the Lord's at hand. Don't be afraid. That in spite of your circumstance, there's a joy, a peace, a hope, a love that you can find in Jesus. And so this morning, if that's you, I just want you to maybe slip your hands up to heaven as we sing this song. And I believe that, Lord, you would come and meet those folks who need to encounter your presence right now, right where they're at. That, Lord, their joy is not based on their circumstance or their happening. Their joy is found in delighting in you. And that, Lord, as they delight in you, Lord Jesus, you will, in some circumstances, take them up and out. Some circumstances, you're going to take them around it. Lord, some other circumstances, you're going to take them right through the middle of it. But, Lord, there is a joy, a life-giving ever-sustaining, deep, deep joy that, Lord Jesus, you've given to each one of us and we find it in you. And so, Lord, as we worship and respond to you through singing this song, Lord, we say thank you for the joy, the good news of great joy that you came to bring every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.